Welcome to Health 4.0 Leadership Podcast. My name is Namrata Bagaria and I'm your host. My guest today is Garth Vegas. Welcome, Garth. Thank you for having me on the podcast, Namrata, and congratulations. I believe I'm the 20th speaker in your very, very successful podcast series Thank you, launched Garth. during the COVID lockdown. Thank you. Thank you so much. So to our listeners, Garth is a marketing and branding expert. And he's been very kind to come on the show and share his views on consumer and consumer health. So Garth, as you know, this podcast is for building a leadership and ecosystem for Health 4.0. Can you tell us where are you in the ecosystem? What are your top three mandates? So Namrata, let me give you a little bit of background on myself because it'll help contextualize our discussion. Mm -hmm. I'm a global citizen, having lived in five countries and worked in 50 countries around the world. Mm -hmm. Understanding consumer and people's behavior fascinates me to no end. Mm -hmm. I enjoy watching people at a doctor's office or watching them while they're buying their groceries. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy looking at walls of numbers and trying to glean meaningful insights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now with the COVID crisis come, there's a massive change in people's attitudes and behaviors towards health. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've observed among the many different changes. I think there are three that are going to be fairly important going forward. Mm-hmm. And I would love to take this opportunity to actually share three big trends, as I call them, that COVID will actually impact. And this will have a direct impact on people's attitudes as well as behaviors towards health 4.0. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as clearly you can be all aware that COVID is going to have a massive impact on our lives. And based on my observations, as I said, I've noticed three trends. I've given them all uh, unique names. The first one is called One for All and All for One. Mm -hmm. Today, we all need to do our part to reduce the spread of COVID by social distancing. Flattening is the curve is what medical uh, experts have actually used. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, this is rather an unusual disease. Mm -hmm. Because unlike other diseases, you don't require a level of social distancing. And therefore, mm-hmm. if we take that argument one step further, mm-hmm. we're not only responsible for our health, but mm-hmm. we're also responsible for community's health. Mm-hmm. Now, number that this is a big mindset change for people because mm-hmm. over the last 40 years, we're so used to managing our own health. Mm-hmm. But now we have to take drastic steps to manage our community's health. Now, what does this mean in the post-COVID world? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think clearly there's an opportunity for health 4.0 practitioners to expand this community approach Mm-hmm. to health beyond the pandemic. So even post the pandemic, we should continue focusing on com- community health. As a business person, in pure financial terms, it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Arguably, if we can keep, keep our community staying healthier, the less the burden on the healthcare system, the less the burden on the healthcare system, the less the taxes. So mm-hmm. clearly, okay, from one perspective, it makes a lot more sense to actually focus on community health going forward. Mm-hmm. The challenges how do we actually use this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity? Because for most of us, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that to reframe consumer behavior and really get them to start actually contributing to their community health. We're already doing it, arguably in one way, by paying taxes. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you have more ideas, and I'd love to hear them on how we can collectively be responsible for our community health. So, Namrata, I would love to hear a couple of thoughts from you on that front. Sure. So I think uh, as you were talking, a couple of things that were coming to my mind, and I'll just highlight a few of them. 
I think the first thing is um, there's a shift in the mindset that we are not lone wolves anymore. Like you cannot say, I'm not, I'm not going to care about what you do. You have to, because that's the nature of this disease. So I think the first thing goes in defining and redefining things because to reimagine things, you need to say what you're going to imagine. And then you need to know the parameters of that. So I think the first thing is redefining and creating that global vocabulary, which is something that our summit is doing. And in fact, this podcast is just going to be released before the summit. So the aim of the summit is to get different practitioners, which we are doing, technologists, policymakers, politicians, uh, people with different abilities who are in the tech, tech space, training people, uh, doctors, uh, people are just coming out of personal interests. So this is, I have never seen a summit myself, which has this kind of an approach. Second is context, context or contextualization in the sense, finding the local and global and global and local, which has been on for a long time, but with the kind of nature of COVID, it becomes even more where you are actually having a community of practice where right now we're learning from so many countries what they did, but then you have to work with what works in your country because the way you're culture is, it's going to totally affect how you implement. So I think at the summit, one of the things I'm hoping that I'm able to do after I hear everybody is come up with some kind of a manifesto of a community of practice for health. Uh, so that's the second part. I think that's important. And I think the third part, which we're hearing again and again, and you said it and every other speaker said it. And even I did a word cloud analysis for at least the first 15 episodes, where the first thing that comes out in everything is people. We have dehumanized healthcare. We have dehumanized technologies to a great extent. And now there are a lot of people who are working towards bringing empathy, towards bringing that experience of a person in their journey. And according to me, the health of the future is not with doctors. It's gonna be with individuals where they have their own toolkits to do what they wanna do and then for uh, you know, for uh, some kind of a maintenance or some kind of uh, I know regular check, you go to a doctor, because we've taken away that power of people in that old-fashioned traditional modern medicine system where everything is off to the doctor and the doctor is so busy to see you or not available. So I think re-educating people, repurposing education. So I think the one word would be repurpose, reimagine, and redefine. That's what I think is my takeaway. Perfect number. I, I really like the way you say that. I think you're one of the few people who's talking about the emotional aspects of health. The word you use is dehumanization. Mm-hmm. And clearly that's happened over time. So I'm really glad to see you're bringing what I call the people element back into the mix. Mm-hmm. Because for a long time, okay, we've taken it out thinking that technology could solve all the problems. But mm-hmm. clearly you, you, you think otherwise, and I'm so glad to hear you say that. Number one, the second change I see is Big Brother Watch Me. Mm-hmm. And let me give you some context to this. Pre-COVID, mm-hmm. people were concerned about privacy and mm-hmm. government bodies responded with GDPR regulation. Mm-hmm. We were very cautious on who we gave our data to and things like that. Mm-hmm. However, in the post-COVID world, I believe we'll be making trade-offs on privacy to ensure mm-hmm. health safety. Mm-hmm. Today, China has been able to track the COVID cases by using a combination of big data and analytics. Mm-hmm. For example, by constantly tracking your mobile phone, they can determine who you've come in contact with 
And arguably, even if you don't know the person, they can establish whether there's a possibility that you've probably caught the uh, disease from them. Mm -hmm. For example, you could be sitting you know, on a crowded train with a traveler or arguably taking the bus who's infected. And using this information, they could establish the probability mm-hmm. of you getting infected and quarantine you as a precaution. However, mm-hmm. this requires a massive trade-off on privacy. Mm-hmm. And in the West, particularly in the West, are we willing to trade off on this privacy? I know it sounds very 1984, George Orwellian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I suspect, I suspect, Namrata, and I'll, I'll love your point of view, that we'll be willing to make these trade-offs to protect our health. If we were to arguably, you know, intelligently misuse Maslow's hierarchy as a framework, mm-hmm. I'm sure health would rank much higher than privacy. But again, this is my opinion based on my observations. I would love your thoughts, Namrata. I think there are many ways to approach healthcare, right? If you approach it as an institution then definitely privacy becomes important because you're responsible, because you're going to get sued, because you're going to have law action, a classic, you know, uh, action suits or something like that if you, if you make mistakes. But if you, instead of thinking of it as an institution, think of it as a very fundamental, though we've been saying health is a fundamental right, it's not really excised in that way. If I think of it as um, a skill, you know, it makes it more human for me to give it to someone, to give them tools to measure it, to give them uh, tools to improve it, and to then have people who can interface it. So I think uh, the shift in mindset from health as an institution to health as a skill is what I see, and a desirable skill, a democratic skill, a skill which I want for myself so I can protect myself and my family. And I think that's where the shift in the mindset will come. Uh, with data privacy, I think, with any concept, guard, then you are a marketing guy and you will believe what I'm saying. There's a lot of social marketing or education that has to happen. So it's not a simple trade-off of, okay, give us your data and you'll get all the access. Are we getting that? No ways. It's not going to happen like that. So there has to be a lot of dialogue that has to be built about what can be given in exchange of the data. Who will give it? What will they give? What will they not give? Why will they give it and what, at what price will they give it and what happens when they don't give it? And I think those are the dialogues I hope to have through the summit, not possibly in this summit, but through the community of practice. And uh, because I think when you think of something as trade-off, that means you're going to have a win-lose situation. But when you think of something in the sense of um, an evolution that okay, in the 1950s, we had sanatoriums and we got people to go out of their homes so that they could be cared for in safer places. That's where institutionalization started. But today, as everybody needs healthcare, you have to take health to people's home and their offices and themselves. So you're taking, you're going from a hub and spoke model to a decentralized model, a completely distributed model, right? So you need to then look for business models which function like that. Something like uh, one of our guests spoke about is blockchain and he's building a healthy chain. So looking at technologies which can help win-win situations like uh, privacy and um, at the same time uh, accessibility in real time would be what I would be interested in. It'll start with R&D. And the second thing that would go is if such things are becoming the dialogue we need to be at the same table so that the time to process from R&D to scaling is shortened. 
today it's anywhere between seven to 17 years. And in healthcare, sometimes up to 25 years. Sure. Um, and we need to shorten that. So does that answer your question to me? You know, you're absolutely right, Namrat. I kind of concur with you on all of that. I have a slightly different point of view on privacy. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. There will be dialogues. Mm-hmm. But I think it will be mandated to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying this is, for example, you might say, yes, I'm more than happy trading off on my privacy or you evolving or you know, giving you all my data. And I might say I'm not comfortable giving you my data. Now, that becomes a problem mm-hmm. because pan- pandemic spread from people to people. So by not giving you my data, I'm almost the weakest chain in the link. Mm-hmm. And so I, I take your point on privacy and the dialogue. And you know, to your point, we have to emotionally convince them and win their hearts and minds. Uh, and I agree with that, that we have to do that. But at some point, I think it might become a mandate. Uh, because again, okay, with infectious disease and pandemics, as you know, even the weakest chain in the link can mm-hmm. cause the whole system to fail. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, I think, okay, you're right, winning the hearts and minds is critical, but I'll be there. there'll be a certain a bit of mandating. It's like having a SIN number, a social insurance number that we all mm-hmm. carry on, whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. in order mm-hmm. to do business. So I, I, I think privacy might go that point of view. But number I'd like to move on to my third change, is, uh, change what I call is, have I walked my 10,000 steps? Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the past, past eight years, smart watches have enabled us to keep track of our physical activity, sleep patterns, heart rate. Mm-hmm. Walk 10,000 steps used to be the healthy mantra. Mm-hmm. And today, manufacturers have added a lot more functionality to these watches. Mm-hmm. They've had bioindicators and things like that. And these mm-hmm. indicators, combined with artificial intelligence, will enable us to monitor our health more regularly Mm-hmm. As opposed to an annual checkup. So about mm-hmm. 10 years ago, you went for an annual checkup, you know, regularly once a year. Now you'd have some basic parameters literally accessible almost every day. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, this was a growing trend. What I think two things will happen. Number one, COVID will actually speed this trend up dramatically as we can take control of our health beyond 10,000 steps. Mm-hmm. But the second thing, and this is something you got me thinking about, is when you said the hub and spoke model when it comes to health. Mm-hmm. With these health devices where you can track basic stuff, we need not go to a doctor and use that as extensively because we can arguably monitor our health more regularly. So mm-hmm. I think these are two, these, these are trends that were happening, but I think COVID will speed it up. To your point, change in healthcare can take anywhere, I believe, from 7 to 17 years up to even 25 years. Mm-hmm. I think what COVID will do is actually compress those timelines a little bit. Mm-hmm. And arguably something that could take years will now come to months, and something that could take decades will come to years, and something that could take a lifetime will probably come to a decade. Mm-hmm. So I guess we need to look at the one positive thing mm-hmm. in this whole COVID thing that we can speed up some of these technologies. And I'd, I'd like to end with the words of somebody who I admire very much, Winston Churchill, who said, why let a good crisis go to waste? Mm-hmm. And I think you've clearly demonstrated that by actually starting to frame up or starting a dialogue either through your summit and your podcast mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what the next generation of health technology would look like. Mm-hmm. So congratulations on that. I think, uh, thank you firstly, but I think this movement started uh, more than a year ago. It started last year in summer with meetup groups. Actually, it started the year before that. It started as coffees within the University of Ottawa between a bunch of researchers I was like, you know what, let's talk to each other. Let's know what we're doing. And then a year later, I made it into a meetup group. And now a year later, it's become a summit. Uh, COVID happened in between. 
So definitely it changed the course of the way we were going to do things. But a couple of uh, things to your point about wearables and the need or not need of doctors. And we have one of our panelists who's going to talk about, I think when you're trained in healthcare, you're trained in sick care, you're not trained in wellness or well-being. So clearly there's a gap. Secondly, when you have so much data that's generated, a tremendous amount of data. And if you hear one of our podcast episodes, number two with Dr. Shabnam Daskar, where we talk about today, if you show all your, all the, all the um, data that you have, your personal health device data, it has to be put in a way that that information is useful to the doctor to help you. For example, your sleep or your sugar levels or whatnot. And not just the mean, median and averages, but there has to be more to analytics and more to modeling, which leads to the conversation for interdisciplinary education and interdisciplinary innovation. And then coming from... Um, the, the, the perspective of uh, innovation, disruption innovation is one of our, uh, key, the, the keynote speaker who's my, uh, uh, my PhD supervisor, Professor Abdul Mutalib El-Siddiq, where he's talking about, okay, you know what, everybody has data. Can we get all this data together and make a digital version of that person called the digital twin, which can tell you in advance that, hey, you know what, it, if you continue like this for the next X days, you will achieve this. And if you're not going to do this, you're going to get that. So predictive modeling and maintenance of ourselves. And I think with this basic research that's happening and the modeling and the correct equations, because we cannot give people like, because I need to also come from a very neutral point as a researcher, right? People listening, I don't want to give false hope. If we are going to empower people with self-care tools what we tell, like what the tools tell have to be standardized. So the, the, the consumer health tech com organizations will have to come together and create those standards. We don't have them right now. At the same time, communities of practices have to come together and say, what's say if it's 10,000 steps for a person who's X age, Y, Z, but a person who is say chronically ill and if he walks or she walks or if they walk 2000 steps it's fine so i think coming up with those kind of guidelines is something what our institute can achieve and 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 the last point to your comment uh, with uh, what you said about why let uh, prices go to waste i personally believe we shouldn't be in a situation where crisis is the motivator for change because this means you ignored something. And this is what happens in health. People change after their first heart attack. They change after they had like a stroke and then they realize. So I feel why even reach a crisis? That's a public health approach. And, you know, I'm going to be talking in this language on the podcast, right? Because I, I represent a fraternity where preparedness is very important. We're recognizing that the pandemic you see is infectious disease, but there has been parallel pandemics of non infectious disease like diabetes, like obesity, like cancer, like mental health, which have been there. The systems were ignored. The voices were suppressed. The reports were ignored. And now when the infectious disease adds on top of that, the Pandora's box is open. So what COVID definitely did was exposed what was there. And again, I don't know if there's a decent amount of um, angst among people, but there is an opportunity through our podcasts like these for consumer activism, for consumers to demand from their governments, from companies that, you know what, the first thing comes is me and my health. And if you cannot help me, I don't want to buy your products. I don't want to work in your offices. I don't want to live in your country. And when that dialogue shifts, I'm not saying 100%, but it would start shifting over time. 
you will see the real thing because there is no demand. When there is no demand, there is no supply. So I think through our uh, activities together, we create the burning fire, that passion in people to realize that health is the only wealth and a nation which cannot have health, no, no matter what GDP they have is a pretty much useless nation. No, Namrata, I think well said. I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the old uh, saying in India was health is wealth. I think mm -hmm. clearly COVID has actually demonstrated that in a very, very clear way. So I think I completely uh, concur with you. And, you know, I'd like to wish you all the best for a couple of things. Number one is the summit. All the best. All, Thank you. You know, I'm sure it'll be a success. But more importantly, I see the summit of a continuation of, as you put it, that started with meetups at the University of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure this will snowball into something much, much bigger than a summit. Mm -hmm. I'd love to stay posted. I, I, I'd love to, to be a part of it. So do keep me posted. I will. I will. I, and I'm certain it's going to take a lot of routes uh, in different directions. I don't know where at this stage, because it's always good to approach something with an open mind so that you're not surprised or you're not like, you know, blind to things which are in front of you. So thank you, God, so much for this wonderful conversation. You're the first speaker who became the interviewee and I was the one I you know the person host and I'm the one who's answering so it was fun to kind of shift gears a little bit and uh, be in the other side of the dialogue thank you so much no no my pleasure Namrata I think okay I view it more as a discussion I may not agree with you you may not agree with me but I think a dialogue and discussion is very important especially yes. when it comes to defining health for the future absolutely thank you so much my pleasure Namrata